This is Patrick Dodds, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Kylie Elmel are showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving hard down the alley, and he scores. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer slips and scores. What you're kidding me. By Dylan Ward. Gets topside. Rambo scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Your go-to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson. What's up, Pro Lacrosse fans? Welcome to another edition of Pro Lacrosse Talk presented by Fanatics. I'm your host, Hutton Jackson, here joined by PLT contributor Brian Andrews. As with every week, minor visit prolacrosstalk.com slash shop or prolacrosstalk.com slash nllshop-ca for your official NLL team gear. Looks like the league is actually adding some more apparel to the shop. So definitely use our link when shopping. Uh, this week, you guys can use the code GOOSE to get free shipping on your order. So a little NLL gear reminder to open the show. But Brian, let's talk PLL gear. As the league announced last week, that signed a five-year deal with Champion, not only to be the sideline apparel, but also the on-field apparel provider as well so we're going to be getting champion jerseys i'm interested to see what they're uh, going to look like but what are your thoughts on this big champion deal for the pll i'm really excited about it i've been loving the stuff that champions put out uh you always love to hear that a new league like this is getting long-term uh deals with any you know sponsor so i'm excited to see it continue and i'm excited to see what the jerseys end up looking like i i, I like what adidas has done um but there are clear adjustments that i would want to be made in these uh, new champion editions, uh, for example, have, I don't care about ads being placed on jerseys necessarily, but I don't want it to be like the biggest font on the face of the jersey. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it, it holds me back from buying jerseys or, or for example, clash with the color scheme of the jersey. If your color scheme is like black, red, and, and yellow, I don't want a blue, giant blue advertisement on my jersey when I'm buying. So I, I understand why the ads are important, but I hope that champion kind of can deviate away from that because they're champion. So mm-hmm. we'll see. We'll see how it goes, but I am really excited. I, I, I have high hopes for. How yeah. I, I agree. Luckily we haven't verged necessarily on like soccer Jersey territory where like the, you know, advertisement is literally the size of, you know, logos. Usually sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I, I still don't know why uh son Chlorella wasn't the sponsor of the whip snakes given that color. But again, I guess you want it to stand out. But that is one where I think it feels a little bit, you know, out of place on the, the purple Water Dogs jerseys. Um, but, you know, overall, you know, doesn't bother me uh, too much. But, yeah, it, it is though great to see that this, um, this five-year commitment from Champion, the video that they put out, the Miles Jones piece, was awesome. Jordan Shapirsky uh, did a great job with that. Uh, the basketball to lacrosse ball transition was sweet. As a video editor myself, I – I was geeking out a little bit over what he was able to do with that piece and that commercial. Um, and champion not only is, you know, going to be providing apparel, but they're actually putting a lot of emphasis on equality in the sport, growing the game at the grassroots and really making it, um, you know, affordable for, you know, anybody in the sport and kind of, you know, spreading it to the masses and, and bringing awareness and diversity to the sport. So I think that's great as well. Um, kind of goes hand in hand with that commercial um, the fact that Miles Jones, you know, grew up wanting to be a pro, maybe pro basketball player, and now he's a pro lacrosse player, shows that, you know, you can come from any background um, and play this game. So all in all, I think it was a great deal, um, great announcement, did a good job. And I'm hoping 
the fact that they're going with champion that's known, you know, to have a little bit of throwback. Uh, that means that they might be doing a throwback Jersey weekend. Now I don't want them to be the, the, the main jerseys, but I want to see the porthole mesh jerseys just a weekend. You know, everyone, you know, I, I tweeted out something and people are like, Oh, they can't be the main jerseys. I, I don't want them to replace home and away, keep the home and away. I want them to kind of, honestly, I, I hope they keep the similar style that Adidas brought with, uh, you know, kind of the tighter fitting, not as, you know, bulky, uh, sleeves as traditional lacrosse jerseys. I hope they kind of keep it similar. Um, maybe go a little bit more traditional, but don't deviate too much from what Adidas did because I like the look of the PLL jerseys. But one weekend, maybe it's the All Star weekend, maybe it's the the weekend that they honor these uh, Pro Lacrosse Hall of Fame inductees. But give us some porthole mesh PLO jerseys, some throwbacks. What are your thoughts on that, Brian? Do you like the porthole mesh, or are you uh, you know kind of wishy washy on it? Uh, it's, a, it's a big color scheme thing. So I'm like picky about them. Some I love, some I hate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but who I think would, like out of the PLL teams anyway, who I think would have like a really sneaky, awesome porthole mesh jersey would be the Chrome. They have the color scheme for it. Black porthole mesh with the bright color highlights. I think you could just make an insanely awesome throwback jersey for them. No, I agree. They're the ones that I'm most excited for if they do end up going this. This is all speculation, of course, on our part, but uh, I'm hoping that the PLO hears this and decides to do that. But they're the one that I like can kind of picture in my mind, but there's really no comp to it. Whereas like, you know, the archers are probably going to look like a Syracuse jersey. Alice are going to kind of look like the Hopkins jersey, you know, even like the Redwoods, that might be a little unique, but it might look, you know, kind of like Vermont. Vermont doesn't have porthole mesh jerseys, but the, you know, kind of the similar look, whereas like, chrome there's nothing comparable out there so i agree I, the, the pink and the light blue they could do a lot of cool things right on the, it's gotta be on the black though it's gotta be black porthole mesh you know um i i think the i think we were talking you know before pod like the ones that look the best are like the black or white or somehow towson pulls off those yellows really great too um i think those are like the best them high point in the navy i think have the best ones in my opinion but Definitely hope they they at least consider it, or even if they don't have the players wear them, uh, just make them make merch. I don't know if I'd go around sporting a porthole mesh jersey, but I'd definitely buy one and get it signed to kind of hang up. I feel like it'd be a good memorabilia thing, and you know maybe even tied into some of these legends. I don't know, but just throwing some ideas out there. Uh, but speaking of some legendary lacrosse players, our friend Jackson Holman, who used to uh, produce some graphics for us at PLT, he's now moved on to bigger and better things, but. He still loves to make some lacrosse graphics and he made a Rambo versus Polanco graphic that I want to give some love. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. We shared it on uh, our Twitter account as well as our Instagram, but he pretty much asked the question who would win in a matchup in their prime Rambo or Nikki Polanco. Who are you going with Brian? It's a really tough one. I will always love these questions uh, and they don't get asked very much in lacrosse. I don't feel, but I feel like I would have before like really giving a concrete answer. I'd have to watch some like, Rambo Apple film or just like Rambo versus some in like wildly aggressive defensive player film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I was, I was saying before, I think I'd give the edge to Planko, but I actually think I'd give the edge to Rambo because Rambo has this like unique ability to do the same move against everyone he plays against and everyone knows it's coming and he still manages to make it work anyway. So I feel like it would be a huge battle, but I think, I think uh, Rambo might win an OT again or something, you know, classic Rambo and whip snakes. Yeah. I I'm going Polanco just because Polanco is such a force out there. And, but it is an interesting question. I think Jackson picked like the, the probably the hardest matchup to kind of decide because you have a big bodied attackman like Matt Rambo, who's also shifty though. Like 
he's able to use his weight and you know there's definitely athletes back in the day when Polanco played but like Rambo is kind of a different breed he's bigger uh, he's still fast he can really use his body um, but then you look at Polanco and he's like the one defenseman that I would say could step into this league and really thrive you know to this day um, you know, he could, he had the takeaway check. He could physically outmatch you. I remember Mark Millen said like, Mark Millen wasn't quick enough really to get past Polanco. And he's like, I couldn't use my body against him. Cause he was so big. Like, he's like, that was the toughest matchup I had to face. So that's, you know, those are Mark Millen's words. So that just gives you a little bit of insight of how fierce of a competitor Polanco was out there, you know, both hall of famers, um, you know, got inducted recently. So, um, I'm giving the edge to Polanco, but it's definitely one that I would like to see. And it definitely makes for a fun discussion. And it sounds like Jackson's going to be making some more of those graphics. So we'll have some more uh, matchups to discuss going forward, but that kind of wraps up our PL discussion, kind of quiet, you know, this week we're recording this on a Monday. So might be some news in between, uh, when we actually post this, but so far, you no, know, not much news in this off season. Uh, I'm thinking we're going to get some more news on these contracts, you know, once they get down to the wire to come April, um, I think you're going to be seeing some, maybe some surprise moves from teams that maybe have cap casualties, you know, cause they do have to allocate their salaries now. So not really any rumblings yet, but I'm sure we'll get them soon. But uh, in the meantime, we got some NLL discussions to get to uh, a lot of upsets this week, but before we do, I actually got to speak to a member of the Panther city lacrosse club in Patrick Dodds, a rookie who's having a great year. Um, and he actually had the game winner for Panther city and they're upset over Vancouver. So let's toss to my interview with him. Stay on Pro Lacrosse Talk. I am lucky to be joined by Patrick Dodds, who is second in points for NLL rookies with 38 and recently had a seven-point effort in Panther City's win against Vancouver. Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, of course. Big win for you guys. Uh, you know, in front of a home crowd. Must have been nice to get your first win in front of this Panther City crowd. Uh, talk about scoring that game winner with 41 seconds and, um, you know, getting your team's first win in Panther City. Before I kind of start there, a big shout out to our fans um, who've been coming out and supporting us um, throughout the season, obviously. Um, super, super happy to get that first first home win. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, in in my opinion, and I think our, our team's opinion, I don't know if we would have liked to be tied up with a minute left to go in the, mm-hmm. in the fourth there. I think we probably could have uh, held together a little better in the in the last stretches kind of the last half of the game and, and maybe just come up with a, with a cleaner W. Um, but all in all, we're tied up, got a, got a good look and pumped up to have it go in in front of the, the home crowd. No, absolutely. And, you know, just a year ago, you were playing junior A lacrosse with the Victoria Shamrocks. Uh, first talk to me a little bit about how you first started playing lacrosse and then playing junior A with the Shamrocks and eventually winning that Minto Cup in 2019. Yeah, no, we actually we actually ended up coming second in that in that Minto. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, but but yeah, it was a great experience to be to be there for sure. Um, from from Victoria, BC, born and raised. My dad's from Vancouver. He grew up playing on the mainland there, um, so he kind of got me into it um, at a young age. I've just been playing nonstop uh, box for the Sanish Tigers and then field in the in the winter time. I mm-hmm. uh, went to Claremont High School. Uh, they got a pretty good uh, field across academy there. My second year midget um, played up for the for the junior junior Shamrocks a bit. Won a provincials with them when I was playing up. Uh, lucky enough to get drafted by them 
um, in that entry draft. Um, and here we are, I've been there for four years, I guess, uh, three fullies minus a, a COVID year um, and got, got one more, one more year left. Awesome. And uh, you know, you were the 21st selection in 2020 NLL draft uh, by the Calgary Roughnecks. Obviously um, you weren't ever able to suit up with them because then you got picked up by Panther City in expansion, but talk about that feeling of getting drafted into the NLL initially and then, you know, find out that you were going to Panther City. Yeah, it's, I was pretty, uh, pretty blessed to be able to enter the draft um, a little sooner than other guys because I, I didn't do the NCAA route. I just mm. um, started working uh, here in Victoria and uh, ended up entering the draft after my second year junior. Um, was uh, lucky enough to get picked up by, uh, by Calgary there and um, no slight to them or anything. And after letting me go and getting picked up by Panther city. And I think uh, all in all, it worked out for, for me, especially having a great opportunity with this organization and so far, so far, so good. You know, and obviously coach Koleski and Bob Hamley thought highly enough of you to draft you in this expansion draft. Talk about the culture that they've created in Panther city and, you know, being an expansion franchise, how you guys have really been able to come together this first year. Yeah, no, I think it's uh totally a huge credit to our coaching along with Bob Hanley. I didn't, I didn't really know, um, know those guys personally, obviously heard a lot of good things about all of them and, and their careers and whatnot. Um, and um, so far, so good. Those guys are, have been, been so, so good to us. The atmosphere, like the locker room atmosphere, the community atmosphere. Um, and not only that, that, and Bob and those guys have put together already. Um, I think we're just over halfway through the season. We, it feels like I've known all these guys for, for much longer than just, I mean, three months of Zoom mm -hmm. meetings and then kind of the last six months of of uh, playing together. So, um, or whatever it is. So it's been a pretty, pretty, um, pretty great honor to be part of this, uh, this group, even just for such a short period of time already. You know, absolutely. And you're having a phenomenal individual rookie year. I know you're probably, you know, more focused on the team accolades and stuff, but what do you attribute your rookie success to so far? And who's kind of like taking you under your wing, any veterans on this team that have kind of, you know, uh, helped you with your game? Yeah, I think we have, uh, I think we have a lot of uh, great, great veteran guys. Like I, I don't want to say one guy in particular, mm -hmm. um, obviously Bill Caputo on the right side's kind of um, been a great guy to play with. Um, mm -hmm. He's, obviously he's not the kind of guy to say oh don't shoot that ball or, or or whatever right so that's been great um and uh hammer and uh tk and and dan teed our our offensive coach I definitely feel like i know they they trust me as a as a young player and allows me to kind of just worry about just playing and and uh, doing my best out there you know definitely well it's been awesome watching you and now I'm going to move on to our five and five segments. These are more quick headers, fun answers, hopefully. Um, and I'll start with the lacrosse questions. The first one I have are, what are some pregame routines or superstitions that you have? Uh, pregame? Um, uh, it all just depends. Like, I'll, I'll do something one week, and if I have a good game, I'm like, man, I got to do that again. Like, <laughs> even if I pack, like, a certain pair of underwear in my suitcase, I'm like, all right, that's got to come with me again, right? <laughs> I'm definitely a steak guy. Got to get the protein in me, uh, a little bit of greens. Um, 
Same with a nap. A lot of guys nap first bit of the season. I kind of moved away from it because I had a good game in New York, didn't nap. And <laughs> I'm just like, I can't do that again. No, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't know if I would be the type of person that could nap before games either. Um, I just feel like once I'm up, I'm up, you know, I don't want to mess with that, but uh, I tend to agree with you on that one. Um, my next question I have for you though, is what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse? At? My favorite venue to play is um, Dickie's in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying that playing in Sask was, was pretty neat. Just, mm-hmm. um, just because the crowd they get was totally electric. Obviously mm-hmm. not in our favor, but still a pretty electric crowd. Yeah, they, they a lot of people say Sask as one. Um, you know, I think Colorado tends to be up there as well in terms of away venues. Um, and, you know, obviously we talked to some players that play there for their home venues as well, but those tend to be at the top of the list in the NLL when it comes to NLL venues. Number three, what is your current stick set up in terms of head shaft and stringing? So I use a torque um the newer gate torque mm-hmm. uh, i think i have i think i have some it's like east coast dies hero uh semi hard mm-hmm. um purple sidewalls and an epoch a gray epoch shaft and what uh what shooters do you have do you have uh you know one two three shooters i'm a i'm a four straight four straight guy gotcha yeah, I'm always interested to see. It's, it's it's I think a unique thing to the sport that you're able to kind of customize your stick to your liking, and you can't really say that about really any other sport in their gear. Number four, who's a lacrosse player you looked up to when you were younger? I'd say there's a lot of uh, great shamrocks who I'd look up to. Um, guys from Victoria, having the gates from Victoria, um, other guys like that. I mean, guys who I even watched watched playing for the shamrocks like Dan Dawson and Corey Small those kind of guys it's uh i mean pretty cool to be playing in the same league as them now awesome and then my final lacrosse question if they made an nll video game who do you say deserves to be on the cover that can be a current player or past player as well hmm. on the cover that's a that's a good question i'd say dane doby there's that picture of him with his broken nose or just yeah. all bloody i don't know if you've seen that photo i'd say I that photo of dame doby or someone like Josh Byrne or like Dane Smith, maybe, maybe even Dylan Ward, probably Dylan Ward would look out on the cover for sure. Yeah, no, those are all great answers. That Dane Doby photo is, is priceless. Uh, just seeing him, you know, bloodied and, uh, you know, of course it was at the expense of his former team too. Um, so that added a little bit to that as well. Um, but yeah, those are all great answers. I want to see Nathan Grannon, Nathan Grannon on a video game. Gotcha. <laughs> that would be great. And then uh, moving on to the the off the field questions, I'll start with uh, who is a player in another sport that you enjoy watching? I'm a big I'm a big Canucks fan, so mm-hmm. JT Miller this year has been killing it. He's a good he's cool to watch, and uh, Damco Damco's been the stud for the the old struggling Canucks. So those two guys have been pretty good to watch. Yeah, not unfortunately not a great year for the Canucks, but uh, yeah, Demko's really exciting to watch. It was funny. I, I was a big, I'm a Capitals fan. So when uh, they got Holpe, I thought he was going to be the starter, but Demko's been playing so well, you know, it, they made him kind of a, a cap casualty and, you know, shipped him off to Dallas eventually. But uh, yeah, Demko is a lot, a lot of fun to watch. And so is JT Miller too. Um, nice to yeah, see him kind of research yeah. his career a little bit in Vancouver. Number two, what are some hobbies or activities you enjoy doing when you're not on the floor? I'm a, I'm a big lake, lake guy in the summer. So 
lakes like uh anything to do with lakes uh wakeboarding wake surfing mm-hmm. tubing with the boys all that kind of stuff and then in in the fall a little bit of a little bit of hunting and and that kind of stuff awesome and then my next one is uh what's your favorite meal do you prefer to dine out or cook at home uh my favorite meal right now is probably um I'd say that there's a spot in Texas called Torchy's Tacos. Mm. And I'm definitely on the tacos right now after being in Texas so much. So I'd say tacos is number one. And I mean, I can, I've, I've tried to make a, make a good taco at home. I've, I've come close, but there's nothing like a good old, like Southern Texas, a little bit of Mexican food. It's, it's really good. Awesome. And that kind of leads into my next one is what's like the coolest aspect of playing in Panther city, like whether it's about the city or, you know, something that's not related to lacrosse, but what's the coolest thing I guess about Fort Worth. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the, like the rodeo and like the stockyards, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool to be able to rip down to the stockyards for the day and um, catch a, catch a rodeo. It's just not something you really see, see where I live. Obviously it's mm-hmm. uh, pretty cool um yeah I'm a big I'm a big fan of the, the cowboy boots and the and the buckles and the hats I think it's pretty pretty awesome yeah you guys have as a team have been rocking some great outfits too some Texas inspired outfits I feel like to the you know walking for warm-ups and stuff uh kudos to your team I feel like you guys are probably one of the best dressed teams in the league when you're showing up off the bus um and then my final one that I'll ask is uh what's a book tv show or podcast that you've been binging and would recommend obviously everybody knows that Yellowstone's legit. So that's, that's probably my number one, just kill myself waiting, waiting for that new season to come out. Um, yeah. I mean, other than that, other than that, I haven't been really watching too, too much TV. Yellowstone is I think recommended every week. I'm telling you every week. And so I definitely need to check it out. Uh, my co-host has mm-hmm. been watching it. I haven't, started watching it yet but i just finished ozark so that might be my next show um that i'm done ozark waiting for at least for part two but uh everyone i feel like that's been coming on the past couple months has been recommending yellowstone so definitely want to check that one out um that wraps up the five and five final question i'd like to add on is what is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professional yeah i mean i'd say i'd say just stick with it it's pretty easy to kind of feel like you're a small pit small fish in a big pond and oh I'm not as good as this guy or just because I played different than some other guy I am not as good of a player um I'd say do your thing excel at what you do really well um obviously practice um stay fit stick with what you're good at and, and get better better at things you things you're bad at I'd just say um just keep keep that stick in your hand as much as you can. No, absolutely. I think that's some great advice. Uh, and we certainly appreciate you hopping on Patrick and best of luck with you and Panther city going forward. Yeah. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and, uh, probably, uh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you on again. And, uh, Adam sends his regards. He's got a, he's got coaching now as well as a little newborn. So he was a little bit too busy to hop on with me, but really appreciate you hopping on. And, uh, again, best of luck this season. You're killing it out there. You're fun to watch. So, um, it's nice to see the lacrosse game spread to Panther City, too, and to Texas and stuff. The NLL is starting to 
really set its roots in a lot of different cool places. So, um, yeah, again, best of luck going forward. Thank you. So we appreciate Patrick Dodds coming on. Uh, I'm glad he could join me this week. And, you know, congrats again to him and Panther City on this big win. Upsets everywhere this week, Brian. We had four upsets, technically three if you're going off the odds makers. But uh, I think technically, you know, I think realistically it was actually four. And we'll get into that a little bit, that that upset. But uh, Panther City beats Vancouver to get their second win, um, 11 to 10. As we mentioned, Patrick Dodds, he scored that game winner with 41 seconds left. Uh, he's Mr. Clutch for this team, you know. He's just kind of doing it all. I, it, it's a tough conversation between him, uh, Jeff T and Reed Bowering for rookie of the year. I mean, I think any of those guys can win it. Uh, I'm not ready to declare anybody uh, really the front runner just yet, but of those three, um, this rookie class is loaded and th- those are just really the, the top three. There's plenty in this class that are doing uh, great things in this league, but um, really kudos to him. He's got a bright future. I think Panther City has a bright future. Um, you know, it was a good win for the Tracy Kluski in this group. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be really getting many more wins. So it's nice to get another one under their belt, um, you know, for an expansion franchise in a league that historically expansion franchise don't do well in this league. So any win you get, I think, should be a, a tally in their cap. But um, any thoughts on this game overall? You know, Vancouver still, you know, this could have been a win that they could have had really had a big statement win. Like the last time they played Panther city, they really haven't had that tough of a schedule. I don't know. Thoughts maybe on the other side of Vancouver. Yeah. I feel like this, this loss for Vancouver really fuels what we were talking about last time. And I think even on the bet on the cross episode last week, where mm-hmm. we were kind of discussing that like Vancouver's strength of schedule is kind of like conflicting with what the record is because they don't have too many quality wins. And then when you go out and lose to the team in last place, there were, I mean, you know, any given Sunday is fine, but they don't have a lot of quality wins, but they have a lot of, you know, low quality losses. Mm-hmm. So as time keeps going on, it's going to be kind of hard to see them fit into anything past the first round of the playoffs. And I think if they get to the first round of the playoffs, based on what we've seen already, um, it's going to be like the record get in like the last team who gets in based off the highest record of the people who don't clinch. Yeah. Um, But that's what I'm seeing from them. And they're going to have to like get a quality win before the back end of their uh, schedule where they just play the same teams that they played in the front end again. So my opinion won't change unless they get a win in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think we can kind of finally just say that the West is definitely weaker this year. You know, seals, I think are a top team. But, uh, and, you know, I still think the Mammoth are good, too. I know you were giving the Mammoth a lot of praise last week, and I, I agree with you. But um, I just don't think they're on that upper echelon. You know, I would put the Seals in that upper echelon. I don't know if I can put the Mammoth there quite yet. You know, we'll get to them in a little bit. Um, and then you got the Warriors there. You know, they're 5-4. and four. They got, They're above 500. But, like, you know, they're really treading water, too. And we know how good this Roughnecks and Rush team can be when they're on their game. Those are two teams that kind of suffered a lot losing guys in free agency, you know, particularly the Roughnecks losing, you know, key guys like Tyson Bell, Dane Doby. Um, and then you got the Rush on the other end. They're losing key guys as well. Ben McIntosh to name one. Um, so, you know, these teams and Connor Robinson as well, who's now in the Mammoth and we'll get to him later as well. Um, but these teams are able to kind of go on these runs because they have a heavy veteran presence. 
Like I could see the Roughnecks or Rush maybe making a run late in this season, you know, getting stringing along some wins and taking that spot from the Vancouver Warriors who are currently in a playoff spot because, like you said, they're in the top three of the West. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the the Warriors can really afford to like, you know, if they win the games they're supposed to, they'll be in the playoffs. But if they drop some games like this to Panther City, you know, they could find themselves on the outside looking in once again. So um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Uh, you know, right now they're five and four, you know, right behind them, Roughnecks three and five and Rush three and six. So, um, you know, again, Calgary and Saskatchewan are just fighting for their lives now. But, um, you know, they have a chance because the Warriors could mess up. You know, that's pretty much what it comes down to. You're not going to see unless barring major disasters for the Seals and Mammoth, you're not going to see them miss the playoffs. Warriors, it's a very realistic possibility they could lose. So interesting stuff there. Um, as I mentioned, you had the Rush and the Mammoth. They played in a rematch. This was an upset that technically uh, was not really an upset if you look at it from a betting perspective. Rush were favored, one and a half point favorites, uh, two weeks in a row, surprisingly, even though the Mammoth had beat them the week prior. Um, and they don't cover in this game, but they do win. They do come out with a win um, in Eric Penny's debut as a member of the Rush. Um, this game was thrilling from start to finish. The rush looked like they had it uh, locked up. They were up nine to seven late in this game. And then we're on the power play and the Mammoth get the ball back. And Connor Robinson pulls it within one on this ridiculous behind the back that was shorthanded. So really, really brutal collapse by the rush towards the end of this game. Um, they pull within one and then uh, Eli McLaughlin ends up tying it up late in this game with less than 30 seconds left. <laughs> So you had them go to overtime. Luckily, the hero was Robert Church. He scores an OT for the rush, gives them a win that they badly needed. Um, but thoughts on Eric Penny coming in and win this game. Do you think this makes the trade for Eric Penny look worth it? You know, I kind of talked about how I didn't think Shoot was playing that bad. And um, Penny obviously was the difference maker in this game. But, um, you know, do you think he played above and beyond what Shoot was at? Um, you know, not, again, not knocking his success to come in and get a win for this rush team. But do you still think, do you think this retroactively makes the trade look better? And do you think the rush now have some life? Uh, I'm the same that I was last week. Last week I said that I didn't really understand necessarily the trade, like Penny did great for them. I also agreed that shoot was playing well for them. Um, I didn't think that the, you know, the goaltender position was necessarily their problem. And if we look at the two successive games, like they had similar success, uh, Penny just ended up seeing more shots than shoot, but they, you know, they both let in what, nine, 10, they, they were about the same. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when you start to look at how the offense performed in the two different games, uh, in the first game, they out the rush outshot the mammoth 57 to 40. Uh, but then in this game, in this most recent game, they outshot the mammoth 72 to 46 and they had to win an OT because yeah. Penny saved their lives in OT. Yeah. So like Penny played great at the end of the game. He like stood on his head and kept him in the game, saved them in OT multiple times. Um, but if you can only win a game in OT out shooting your opponent by 30 goals, and that's what it takes for you to get like a win. It's clear that the, that shoot wasn't affecting that in the prior game. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, no. So I, I still stand by my opinion that the rush looked really good. They were moving the ball. Dylan Ward was just a wall. He had like 60 saves. What was the number? He had 62 saves. 
Yeah. Dylan Moore was just a wall, but the rush, like they had a groove on offense. They were getting to the middle of the floor. They were getting right in Dylan Ward's face. Dylan Ward's just a maniac. So their offense looked like how everyone tells you the rush's offense should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, now but, we just need to see some consistency with it, you know? Yeah. And not everyone's going to have a 60 save night. So if the offense can keep that, that momentum going. Uh, I think we'll see an improvement for the rush. I and agree. This no. is to not Penny either. Like, I think, I think Penny like is a great goaltender. I just don't think he was, I don't think shoot was the problem with the rush to begin with. And if we see the offense play like this and Penny or shoot, whoever they could split time. If they play great, I think the rush could go on a two, three game win streak and catch up to the Warriors in the standings in no time. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, making the trade for Eric Penny, it doesn't hurt. You know, it, it only helps. Um, I don't think, you know, shoot was necessarily the problem. And now you have two capable goaltenders you can go to. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to this rush offense and whether they can continue to keep pace with teams. Um, and again, like they ran into Dylan Ward, no small feat to, to defeat Dylan Ward, you know, and he's a great goaltender. So, um, you know, give them credit for still pulling this one out. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's going to be consistency on offense that's going to get them these wins as long as, you know, the goaltenders continue to play well because they've been playing well. Um, you know, Eric Penning played well in his debut. Shoot was playing fine before that. So, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think the trade really made them that much better, um, but it didn't hurt them either. So that's, I think, you know, the, the important thing with this. But, yeah, what a game, though, to, to come down to it. And it probably wasn't even the best game of the weekend, um, but what a finish. And uh, I'm sure the, the Rush faithful were sweating bullets towards the end of that game. But uh, luckily – they were able to see a win and, you know, give Penny credit, made two key saves in overtime, including a breakaway on Joey Capito. So um, that was a huge save uh, that, you know, that, that really would have just ended their season probably right there. You know, they still have some time to make up some ground, but they def- desperately needed this win to uh, maintain pace in this West division. And they, they have some life in them after this game. So I'm um, looking forward to seeing where they go next going forward. Like we said, this West is still wide open uh, for that final spot, but um, we're going to have to see one of these teams really go out and take it. Uh, you know, it's not going to just fall under their laps, essentially. Moving on now to another game that was a pretty big upset, um, probably bigger than that one, was the Firewolves upsetting the Seals. Seals were two-and-a-half-point favorites. I thought the Firewolves could probably cover this game. I did not know if they were going to win outright, um, especially heading out west. I feel like that's a tough road trip. But uh, they came out firing, and they ended up winning 13-12. to 12. Joe Rosateris lean the way he currently leads the league in points um oh and ryan banesh he's fifth in points so two guys really getting it done for the firewolves uh they have a pretty good goaltender and doug jameson as well but thoughts on the firewolves getting this gutsy gutsy win against the seals this, this was the game of the weekend for me i mean it was just super back and forth um you know the goalies i thought we're kind of letting some in from distance. The defenses were letting a lot of skips through, but offensively, it was just a, like a high octane, really impressive showing. Austin Stotts running through the entire defense multiple times. It was just it was just fun front to back. No team ever really pulled ahead too far. Um, so it came down really to the wire. And, but I'm really liking the Firewolves right now. I, I started out really pessimistic on them. Um I was constantly betting against them or at least playing against them on the battle of the cross show. Um, but their offense is finding the groove, like right at the right time, as we're starting to talk about, like, you know, the bubble area of the playoff spots in each division. And since we talked briefly about the West and how the Warriors might fall out of that spot, the Firewolves have, you know, slowly been gaining 
ground on the swarm in the wings. And now they're standing right next to him. And right now, in my opinion, I think the Firewolves look the best out of the three. And looking at the back half of the seasons, like the Firewolves have the most upsets of those three teams. So if they can consistently beat the teams that they need to beat and get like another upset in there, Firewolves are going to hold the fourth spot in the East at some point. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and we talked about it last week too, how, you know, they have a tough, the toughest stretch coming up, essentially. They had the Seals, they had get the Bandits next, then the Thunderbirds and the Swarm. Well, you know, they played the Bandits pretty tight last game. They beat the Thunderbirds and they beat in the Swarm. They split games with the Swarm. So they could essentially run the table in these games. Uh, I think the Seals was the one I was probably the worried the most about. You know, Bandits, you know, still worries me a little bit too, but they get that win against the Seals and they're back in business. You know, they can rattle off these wins. And even if they split these games 2-2, they're in great shape going into the end of their season because they get to play the Riptide twice. uh, And then they end up, you know, playing the Warriors, who, again, we're not too high on. And then they got a match with the wings. So not in that order, but like, you know, that's a pretty good final four games if you're already in a playoff spot, which they are right now. So yeah, definitely need to keep pedal on the metal, you know, keep going. But um, yeah, I, I saw a lot of great things from this team. I think the seals are still a good team too. They just lost to a, a hot team, but uh, yeah, firewalls definitely needed that one after dropping their last three. Um, you know, kind of, we talked about this pre-pod their their kryptonite right now is really just the Nighthawks. It seems like they lost to them twice this season so far. Um, you know, that, that was kind of bookending their win over the rush, uh, went over the wings and then went over, went over the Thunderbirds and swarm. So, um, yeah, it's kind of funny the fact that they, they lose to the Nighthawks twice, but they have all these upsets, you know, they probably had the most quality wins, um, of this, these East teams that are competing for this final spot. So, um, yeah, kudos to them. Like I said, Ryan Banesh getting it done, Joe Resteris getting it done. Um, and I think the Firewolves really put them in a good spot. They needed this game, um, you know, was against a West comp- opponent, so it doesn't really affect them too greatly in the East standings, but at least a win is a win, and they're adding to that win column. So that's that's important. Um, and, yeah, Austin Stotts, though, we got to give him some credit on the other end, the Seals. He that behind-the-back goal was nasty. And then he also scored, you know, another one that was just from the ground. Like, he's just ridiculous. (laughs) I I couldn't imagine having a game like he had and then my team losing. I would be besides myself. It's crazy, too, that it almost looked like he was going to be out for the season after they announced he had to have surgery again on his knee. And uh, he comes back, like, way ahead of schedule. And he's still competing at a high level because even when he came back from his first knee injury uh, before the pandemic kind of shut things down, he came back, you know, really slowly they didn't rush him into it. Um, and he finally started to warm up a little bit, but like, he still wasn't like his dominant self that he was his rookie year. He's back now. Like, I, I think we can put that all to rest. Um, you know, he's completely back now, you know, knock on wood. I don't want him to have any other injuries. Um, and hopefully his brother will get back on the floor pretty soon too. Randy Stotts. Uh, I don't think it will be this year, but he's rehabbing a knee injury as well. Lacrosse is better when the Stotts brothers are playing. I think we can all agree with that, but uh, yeah, unfortunate loss for the Seals. They're still in good shape. Um, they really can just, you know, as long as they beat the teams they're supposed to uh, ride it their way in, but they're definitely going to be looking for that top seed. So um, they'll still have a lot to play for, even if they do, you know, clinch a playoff berth pretty soon here. Um, but Mentioned some Firewolves, a former Black Wolf, former member of that franchise is Callum Crawford. He is tied with Ryan Manesh 
with fifth in points, playing at a high level at his age. You know, lacrosse is not necessarily a young man's game in the NLL. We see a lot of rookies, you know, playing really, really well this season, but there are some old veterans that are still playing at a high level as well. Calum Crawford is one of them, and he helped lead the charge for New York. Five points. Him and Jeff T. Jeff had seven points. Uh, pull up an upset, 13 to 12 over this Rock team. Um, I think we both like the Riptide plus two and a half because they've just been really almost automatic at plus two and a half. I don't know if we expected an upset here, but talk about this game and this big win for the Riptide. I love when the Riptide win. They're like <laughs> one of my, like, you know, secondary teams, I guess. They're fun to root for. Uh, their offense is like really fun to watch. Um, anytime Orleman's on, I mean, he kind of has to stand on his head sometimes. Sorry to the Riptide defense, but when he's on, it's really fun to watch him play too. Um, so it's good to see them get a win, especially against a quality team like the Rock. Um, I want, I wanted more out of them this season, especially with the high-powered offense that they have, um, and they've been able to keep up with a lot of teams. So it's just a shame that um, the wins have just been few and far between. Yeah, no, but if you reduce their season just to like their wins, like, you know, clearly they only had one win last season. Now they have two wins. So not really much, you know, progress in terms of the win column, but they are still, I think, leaps and bounds better than they were the previous season. Obviously they brought in a lot of new pieces. Coach Lottasaur comes in, Jim Beltman comes in as GM, but I think Coach Lottasaur has done a great job with this team, despite only having two wins. You know, don't just look at the, the win-loss column when you look at the Riptide. I think they're a much improved team. Their goal differential is just minus 12, which compared to Panther City that also only has two wins and they're minus 31 is a lot better. So they're, you know, not going to make the playoffs this year, unfortunately, just the reality of it. Um, but they they looked good in this game and they, they've proven to themselves that they can hang with the top teams. So I think give Coach Lazor a lot of credit you know, for where he's at. I mean, if you look at season one, they were averaging a minus 4.69 goal differential. Now they're averaging minus one and a half, which is also why we love those two and a half. So when they get the two and a half betting wise, because they're currently five and six and somehow the books, they just look at their record and they don't think the, the riptide can cover these two and a half point spreads, but they've been covering them um, and winning out right now, twice as two and a half point dogs um, in this game. But yeah, credit to Coach Lottasaur and this Riptide team. They play the Rock again this weekend. It's tough to beat teams back-to-back, so I don't know if the Riptide are going to pull off another victory, but they're getting the two-and-a-half again. I might have to play it again. <laughs> I, I like it I like it a lot, too, for, for basically all the reasons that you just listed. But it, it has been a shame because, because their offense has been so improved this year. They've been able to keep games close and even late um usually it just so happens that they can't stave off the other team's offense so they let one slip late and then they can't get a goal to drive it into ot or something or they can't keep momentum going long enough to get a a big enough lead to clinch the win like teams always come crawling back so i i think in their offseason they should plan to like really solidify that defense you know solidify thank you that's the word that's a great word um yeah solidify the defense maybe bring in new pieces um just figure out maybe maybe devise a new scheme whatever the answer is like that's where their focus should be in the offseason because their their offense is performing very very well no i agree and i think too you know if they could get a dominant 
you know, face-off specialist that can also play defense. I think that could really kind of turn the tides, no pun intended, uh, for them as well. You know, you see what you see what Joe Nardella is doing with the Firewolves. Max Adler now on the Bandits. You know, TD Erlin on the Rock. Jake Withers and the Thunderbirds. Trevor Baptiste, the Wings. The list goes on and on of these guys that are really good face-off specialists, but they're also, you know, really good in transition and becoming good defenders in this league as well. You know, you know who we got to give credit to, I think. And I don't think like we don't talk about faceoffs as much in, in the indoor game, short shot clock. So possession isn't like always as important um, immediately anyway. Um, but T Erland like didn't start the first couple games of the season. And he was a kind of a little bit of a question mark, like pure field guy, like whatever, didn't really have very, as far as I'm aware, very much indoor experience. Um, and it is an entirely different game. And you could see in like the first game he started, like they got him off the floor immediately uh, mm-hmm. after he won or even lost a faceoff. They'd be on defense, and if and if their if their bench was on the same side as their uh, goaltender, they would get him off the field somehow. Mm-hmm. Now you don't see that happening as quickly anymore. He's kind of getting his feet. He's clearly doing well in the faceoffs, but like in the NLL, you have to play more. You see, like you know. Withers and Baptiste really out there scrapping all the time, um, just to name a couple. But mm-hmm. you're seeing like TD really find his groove, and it's been fun to watch. Yep, no, absolutely. And you know the whole discussion too around do faceoffs matter? Like you know if you look at it, you know they really don't make an impact when it comes down to wins losses. But situationally, it's great to have that faceoff guy because you can get those possessions late in the game, um, and you can you know you know, go on those runs and stuff. I mean, look at uh, Tyrell Hammer Jackson on the Vancouver Warriors. He got picked up by the Archers. We're looking forward to seeing him make his field debut, but he's another reason why the Vancouver Warriors have had some success. And if you look at all these guys I listed, yeah, they're face-off specialists first in the field that have kind of been converted with the exception of Withers and Hammer Jackson, but they're also guys that have really worked on their box game and the teams are now comfortable leaving them on defense. And in some situations like Baptiste and Nardella have scored multiple goals off the faceoff. So they're threats to score. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is if you can get a guy that has that extra skill set and you can make him into a box player, that's where you're seeing a lot of success. And, you know, I think Adler's going to be another case study in, in that because, you know, he's very green now in the NLL as well. Um, already kind of making an impact on that team. He's only going to get better, you know, um, and it's only, only great when you have that skill set and you take a team like the bandits that, you know, can score, give them a few extra possessions, you know, that's just going to make them that much better, you know, and it doesn't always, like we said, doesn't always convert to wins and losses. There's so many possessions in the game that it's hard to see them, you know, direct impact from winning faceoffs, but you got to consider it like you're, you're adding a complete player in that. And, you know, the, the Riptide, they've had good faceoff specialists kind of in the past, um, you know, with Alex Woodall and uh, they tried Connor Farrell. So, you know, maybe they give Connor Farrell a try if he commits to, you know, playing. I, I don't know what his thoughts are on playing, um, but, you know, or maybe they have, they find somebody else. But um, I think, you know, that could really put them a little bit over the edge, just make them a little bit more complete. But I agree that in the defense um, going forward next season, but I think it's a good start for them. They obviously have a lot of young talent, um, Tyson Gibson, you know, to add to Jeff Teton, Callum Crawford, obviously being that veteran presence. So I like what I'm seeing from the Riptide. On the flip side, Rock don't look too bad either. I still think they're a top team. 
you know, they were kind of due for to lay an egg here after, you know, having some, some big wins the past weeks. Um, and another American, you know, mentioned Joe Resteris leading in points. Another American's leading in goals, Tom Schreiber. You got, you know, Canadian Dane Smith leading in assists. But nice to see two Americans at the top of the, the stat leaders, you know, uh, as Americans ourselves. You know, it's, it's starting to become more and more common for these Americans to really thrive. And Schreiber's prime example of a guy that, you know, really didn't have any formal experience and came in and has lit it up. So nice to see him playing well. Leads the league in goals despite missing a few games. I think he missed two games this season. So pretty ridiculous to, to have the production that he's having. Um, looking forward to round two in this game. Um, but that kind of wraps up our upset discussion. We're hoping the Wings were going to pull an upset. I know I, I placed some money on them on the, the money line, a little sprinkle, and I know you're a Wings fan. Um, are you worried about the Wings? Yeah, very much. And I kind of previewed it when we were talking about the Firewolves because uh, the Firewolves, the Wings, and the Swarm are like kind of in the gauntlet right now. They're all sitting right next to each other playing most of the top teams in a row and then play kind of each other at the end of the season pretty much for the playoff spot, the, uh, the, the final East playoff spot. And uh, their offense has shown like a lack of production recently. And at the beginning of the season, we were talking about how potent the offense was. And that's why they were winning games, even though their defense was letting people like letting other teams hang into the games. They probably have the most OT wins of the whole league. Mm -hmm. Uh, But even the defense has been struggling a little bit. They've been letting up uh, 10 or more in the past, like four out of the last five games. I think they held the swarm to seven, but other than that, it's been like 10, 10, 13, 14, 14, like too high of, you know, goals against to really reliably win, especially when your offense has been struggling. Some, uh, before I get into some like really like obscure stats about how wild this like little slump has been in the, in the most recent game. And I've noticed this kind of as a trend in the past, you know, three games ish is, um, their offense feels like slow to get out. I've no, I'm noticing less movement off ball, less off ball picks, more passing around the perimeter, outside shot. A lot of the highlights are like one man efforts to get to the middle of the floor and mm-hmm. score. And in this past game, most recently, I would love to see like a, a Joe Keegan shot map of the wings because I feel <laughs> like it, it would look like a two point arc indoor, like far away from Warren Hill, a major, a large majority of the time, mm-hmm. and. Warren Hill's great. And he, and as the wings kind of found their groove later in the game, he sewed on his head a couple of times and made some incredible saves that kept the wings out of the game because they could have come back. So he was playing great, but the wings kind of spoon fed him. We're spoon feeding him in the first half with a lot of like really, I don't know, low chance shots from distance. And yeah. It just didn't, it just didn't feel like they had a sense of urgency to, I don't know, do much um, because when the ball carrier when everyone's on the perimeter and the ball carrier is like looking around and nobody's sending picks, no one's cutting, no one's, you know, drifting backside to the, to the nest. I don't know if they call it that in indoor, but like the offside, the backside pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, could, I just didn't feel like anything's happening. Then they take a long range shot and they give possession away essentially. Um, but it's been like that for a while. Over the last six games, they've been held scoreless in four quarters. And we've been, we were touting them as one of like the top offenses in the league. And um, they've only outshot their opponents in three of the last six. And I think the most ridiculous one of all, excluding the overtime goal against the Swarm, they've only outscored an opponent in eight of the last 24 quarters. 
So only a third of the quarters that they played over the course of the last six games have they outscored their opponent. So like it's it's clearly like a, a, a repetitive issue. This is this is a growing problem. And as they like right now is like kind of the, the peak of their schedule where they're playing most of the best opponents that they're going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, when those are the numbers that we're looking at, it's going to be hard for them to find the upset wins that the Firewolves just got. Um, before they get into the real tail end where they're going to directly compete with the Firewolves and the Swarm mm-hmm. uh, for that final playoff spot. And if the Firewolves pull far enough ahead, then the head-to-head games at that point are, are only going to matter if the Wings still have the record to get into the um, – I, I don't even know what we're calling it, like the at-large. The wild card, yeah, essentially. Wild card. Yeah. yeah, wild yeah. card. Um, so it's trending to be like that's going to be the only hope, but I – we need to see like a transformation like the Rush just had in the last game because yeah. they're kind of it, that's how I kind of feel like they're imitating on offense. I feel a lack of urgency, not a lot of it, it doesn't look like they're getting into their sets fast enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I think right now for the East Bubble, I think that it's most likely going to be Firewolves Swarm Wings in that order. And I'm going to think that until somebody, until one of those teams like proves me wrong and that they can overtake the Firewolves, even though. Um, even with the production the Firewolves are having right now. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, if you're the Wings, the last thing you want to do is, you know, have to go up against the Swarm for a playoff spot because that's been the team that's probably given them the most trouble um, or at least played the tight them the tightest, you know, in, in most of these games. So, um, yeah, it's tough. I, you know, the other thing I noticed about the Wings, and I'll be honest, I didn't watch this past weekend game, So I don't know if this was an issue this past weekend and you can tell me if it was, but they've really struggled to prevent transition opportunities. I I could like, especially the start of the season. And I think they've cleaned it up a little bit, but still not as, you know, much as they should. Whereas they're giving up these easy transition goals. And I think that goes hand in hand with your point about their lack of urgency on offense. Well, then they're not really getting off the floor and getting their defensive personnel on or, you know, sticking with these transition opportunities. So that's another issue that I think they just need to clean up. Like, it feels like they're always playing teams tight, even the teams that are kind of beneath them, because the Riptide are a prime example. Both games against the Riptide, they gave up these transition goals and let them hang around, and I think that's their issue. Um, and then when they're playing good teams like the Thunderbirds, you know, they're just not able to, to overcome that. So that's something I've noticed. Like I said, I didn't watch this past weekend's game between the Thunderbirds and the Wings. Did, did you notice that as kind of an issue? or? Um, yeah, there would be multiple times where they'd fire a shot off from like the restrainer with like yeah. one second left on the shot clock, it would go over the net, bounce off the board in an odd way away from the benches. And Tyson and Beller, the would like her, huh? yeah. and the and other teams going the other way with it, you know? Yeah. Tyson Bell or like, you know, any of the Thunderbirds defenders who are all comfortable handling the ball are, are like closer to the ball than the wings players are to the bench. Mm-hmm. So they're running and, you know, the wings are scrambling and, the Thunderbirds aren't running to the bench to get their offensive personnel. They're all just running down the field. So you suddenly have like, you know, like a two on one, a a three on two. Um, So you're right. Like it's still, that, that is still also an issue. Yeah. And look at the teams, you know, they face in the East. I mean, you could say this about a lot of NLL teams, but swarm pushing transition hard, riptide pushing transition hard. Um, You know, like the, the Thunderbirds pushing transition hard. The Rock push in transition hard. All these teams that they're playing, you know, they push in transition. So if you can't defend that, like, 
it's going to hurt you down the stretch. Yeah. And I think the problems that we're describing on offense also are like directly related to these issues, because mm-hmm. if you were, you know, able to get the ball towards the crease, when you shoot, the less likely for a ridiculous rebound and immediate transition opportunity, like, like aside from the ricochets and uh, clean saves, right. Like if the ball's rolling around on the crease and you have the ability to scrum for it, you're giving your guys time to get off the floor mm-hmm. so the B guys can get on. So I feel like these two problems are like very closely related to each other that if the offense kind of gets back into its groove, have some more off ball movement, getting the ball closer to the crease before they get a shot off. And they're not, rely- they're not just, you know, doing a desperation shot to see if they can get a reset. Um, they'll stop putting themselves in a position where teams can potentially generate that transition. No, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely. I think something they need to work on um, still very good chance for them to make the playoffs. So they're still, still alive, but definitely need to clean some things up for sure. But that wraps up our discussion from last week, week 13. Now we'll look ahead to week 14. Brian, what's your matchup to watch in week 14? Right now it's uh, the Bandits and Firewolves. I know it's kind of like square to be like uh, the Firewolves just took down the Seals, so they're probably going to take down the Bandits. And that's not really how I feel, but I think if we can see um, some offensive consistency from the Firewolves, because the Seals have a really good defense and the Bandits also have a really good defense. They're two of the Mm -hmm. best defenses in the league. Um, If we see that offensive consistency from the Firewolves, I think that's going to be a really good sign down the stretch. So like last week, I was saying this Wings Thunderbirds game is going to be really, um, you know, representative of how they might look for the rest of the season. I think this is the game for the Firewolves. No, absolutely. I I agree. And uh, that's definitely mine. Um, I I think that would, I'll co-sign that as my favorite as well, but I'll give another one and that's the Riptide taking on the Rock again. Um, I'm very interested to see, you know, it's tough to beat teams back to back. I'm intrigued to see if the Riptide can pull off another upset. I, I'm leaning rocks still to win, but um, Riptide getting that plus two and a half still might sprinkle that plus two and a half a little bit. I think it's going to be another tight game, regardless if the Riptide come away with a win or not. Um, this time it's in Toronto, so the Riptide will be traveling to Toronto, but that is my game to watch this weekend. That's going to wrap up another episode of PLT. We appreciate everyone listening. We're thankful that Patrick Dodds was able to hop on this episode. We appreciate him coming on. Um, And we thank you guys for listening every week. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review if you don't already, um, either on Apple Podcasts or now Spotify. You can leave reviews as well. But we thank you guys for tuning in and listening, as always, to another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk.